right, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read about 11 verses to get us started tonight. Revelation chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. They're ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments and they shall walk with me in white for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say that they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now, actually, two verses for the text tonight. In verse 3, he says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. Now notice... And hold fast. And then in verse 11 to the church at Philadelphia. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast. I want to preach tonight on holding fast what we have. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I again beg you tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit, for the leading of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the word of God. You know what we need tonight. And Father, I just pray that the Spirit of God would give to us exactly what we need to hear, that we listen with ears bent on hearing what the Spirit of God says to the churches. Have your way in our lives tonight, and Father, we'll thank you for it all, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you turn back a couple chapters over to chapter 1, you find in verse 13 uh, this statement. It says, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks... One like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Now notice, in the midst of the seven candlesticks. Then you go down to verse 20. And he says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Now get this. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So we find Jesus in the midst of the church. 
We see him walking among them, the resurrected Christ, the glorified Christ, the infinitely holy Christ, the almighty one in power, the one who knew every one of their secrets. To all seven churches, he says, I know thy works. I know thy works. I know thy works. He knows Madison Baptist Church's works. He knows us. He knows right where we're at. He knows right where we stand. He knows everything about us. He knows when we're still doing right, but our heart's not in it. He knows when we are willing to change the worship as found in the Word of God and take on the Jezebel that's mentioned in one of the churches or false doctrine like the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of Balaam, uh, which the Bible says God himself hates. He knew all their secrets. This is the one whom every church's secrets are known to and every individual secrets are known. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Before each church, he says, I know thy works. Now to one church, out of the seven churches, and we only read the passage that dealt with two of them, Sardis and, um, and Philadelphia. But to one church, he says, thou hast left thy first love. You're going through the motions. You're not doing it with the fire that you once had. Uh, your motivations are wrong. And he tells them to remember, to repent, and then return and do their first works. And then to another church, he says, you've lost your purity of doctrine. And then he mentions the doctrine that they had begun to take on that were doctrines that God himself hates. And I, I want everybody to get this. This isn't just for the older adults. It's not just for the middle-aged adults. It's not just for the singles. It's not just for the teenagers. This is for everybody. Doctrine does matter. Doctrine does matter. And by the way, that's, we get all the way back to the Bible. It matters what Bible you use because what Bible you use will determine what doctrine you hold to. There's only one doctrine that is authoritative word for word in translation, and that's our King James Version of the Bible. That's it. Now, you've got other Bibles out there that people have rewritten. They've changed the words. Of course, they use corrupt manuscripts, and they change the words to try to pass along pet doctrines that they've come up with ever, even before those, uh, those translations were given. We're to hold fast. See, the problem with American Christendom, it doesn't hold fast. It doesn't hold fast today. It's ever-changing. I remember having two young men stand in my office. They'd been listening to some people on the radio that they should have had more sense to even be listening to. You know, I feel that way about Eve. When the devil started talking to the serpent, that should have been a sign things weren't right. As far as we know, serpents hadn't talked before. But when the serpent started out talking and said, Yea, hath God said, that should have been enough. Shut up, devil. Get out of here. I'm going to call Adam. He's going to cut your head off. I mean, there are times that you just don't sit there and listen. But it's in, we want to be so broad-minded, and that's exactly how churches get led astray. When they decide they're going to be broad-minded, they're just going to accept everything. I mean, you believe one thing, I believe one thing, and it's all the same. It's not all the same. And God makes that extremely plain in the scripture. For instance, in 1 Corinthians, when he's dealing with the resurrection, and he says, how say some of you that there is no resurrection? 
If there's no resurrection, then Christ is not raised. If Christ is being not raised, you're yet in your sins. Your faith is vain. It does matter what you believe. He writes to the Corinth or to the Galatians. He talks to them about this false gospel they had started to believe. That's how people become Calvinists. Somebody else comes in. You never would become a Calvinist by reading the scripture. You have to be influenced by another Calvinist. Tart wants you to feel like you're one of the elite that really understand what God doesn't even say in the Bible. God's not hidden things from us. He's revealed things to us. Now, that's not to say that God's revealed everything to us, but he says about that in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Our problem is not the things that we don't understand. The things that we don't understand, there's some things God didn't mean for us to understand. And some things you're not ready to understand now. We teach math in our academy, but we don't teach calculus to kindergartners. They got to learn a lot of other math concepts before they're ready for calculus. And spiritually speaking, there are some things God's not going to give you your first couple of years of being saved. But as you grow, you'll see how things fit together and that'll help you. But you don't start listening to heretics and heresy so that you'll be more broad-minded. That has always gotten God's people in trouble. That was extra. There you go. To another church, he says, you've lost your purity of doctrine with the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of Balaam. He tells them to repent and set their house house in order. To another church, he says, you've lost your purity of life and you're tolerating that the filthy sins of Jezebel repent and purge yourself and be clean is what he says to them. To another, you have a name that you're, li- that you're alive and are dead. That church was coasting on from its better days. They were just coasting. And there were a few names which had not defiled themselves, but unfortunately only a few. To another at Laodicea, they were lukewarm. And they thought they were pretty special. I mean, they had a nice big building. They had carpeting on the floor. They had things that they called chandeliers. And they weren't pianos. They weren't organs. Real chandeliers. How do you know that? Well, they were rich and increasing goods. They thought they were special. And he says, you know not that you're poor, wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. He said, truth is, churches, we're, you know, we're about to have our 40th anniversary. And yes, thank God, we've had a lot of glorious things that have happened in the past. But you know, unless we hold fast to some things, we'll lose every bit of that. Do you understand that? All of us who went to Tennessee Temple never would have thought it'd be where it's at today. Say, where is it? Nowhere. It's gone. They lost it all. And they lost it all because they wanted to start being more broad-minded to be more acceptable to more churches so we can get more people in. Uh, listen, if you've got to compromise to get people in, you just might as well give it up and turn it over to somebody who will hold fast. I mean, we are called on here to hold fast. To the church at Smyrna, gives a different tone. I know thy works, tribulation. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee a crown of life. To the church at Philadelphia, the happiest message that he gives says, you have a little strength and you've not denied my name. And he says to them, hold fast that which you have. No man take thy crown. Hold fast. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Yeah, we're to hold fast 
Time to stand, not time to change. 40 years old, man, that's good, 40 years. Praise the Lord. A lot of 40-year-old churches have gone astray uh, long before 40 years. And boy, they've got all the cool stuff. But it's not about the cool stuff. Truth is, a lot of our churches were a lot better off when they were meeting in a storefront and they had chairs that had little nails sticking out of them at different places and they'd catch their clothes on them. And they didn't have a big nice pulpit like we've got right here. I mean, this got a leather top to it. This Brother Tom did this and it says, preach the word right on the front. Man, that looks cool from up here. You can't see all that down there. But I see that every time I get up to preach. Preach. The word. But back when they were on fire and they were reaching people with the gospel of Christ and uh, their buses, most of them only ran every other Sunday. And if anybody ever would have stopped them and checked them out, they'd have taken them off the road. But boy, a lot of souls were reached during that time. I'm not necessarily speaking for that, but I'll tell you, they hadn't lost their zeal, hadn't lost their stand for God. And I think one of the things that have hurt us greatly have been a lot of Bible colleges. Because Bible college, that's a pretty big expense. And you get that big expense, you want to start doing things to draw students in, not run them off. And you hold to the old paths, and there'll be a lot of people who won't come to your college. Now, I'm not saying, for, but you understand, most Bible colleges end up going astray in a generation or two. And that's why they go astray. They want to be more acceptable to people. They start accepting accreditation. I remember back in the 1980s when everybody argued against accreditation. I mean, nobody comes in. Nobody's above the church. Why on earth would we have the state come in to accredit the local ministry of a local church? Why would we do that? Made sense then. It makes sense now. But a whole lot of those schools that argued against it are accredited now so that they could bring in a bunch of students that don't stand where they stand on anything and they get alone with other kids in the dorm and put all kinds of pressure on them. Hey, you don't have to worry about dressing like that. They're just a bunch of legalists here. And God says, hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. We have been extremely blessed at Madison Baptist Church in so many ways. And I'm not going to take time to recount all those. Uh, we've done a number of that. All I got to do is look back here and look at these pictures on the wall to see missionaries out of Madison Baptist Church and be reminded that the gospel literally was preached all over the world by missionaries out of Madison Baptist Church today. Today. And then if you count all the other missionary works that we support, I mean, the sun never sat on the ministries of Madison Baptist Church today. Been a great Sunday, hallelujah, and it's like that over and over again. He says, hold fast. So let me share with you the implications of that statement, hold fast. Hold fast. Number one, it is possible to lose that which you have. We've seen it happen. Matter of fact, I think of one church that was up in Terre Haute. It was a soul winning church. They ran buses and everything. And unfortunately, they got well-known and they got very popular and leadership got off into things they never should have gotten off into. And now there is no church there in that building. They lost it all. There's no witness there now because they didn't hold fast. You understand that this can happen on any level of spiritual attainment. You look at the comrades of the Apostle Paul. And I would think if you said, you know, I traveled around with Paul. And man, I went to jail with Paul. 
I was in ministry with Paul. We started churches. Read about some of those things in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Some of the things that Paul went through. I was with him through some of those things. You think that's a real solid guy. But when God writes the third time about Demas, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. What was his problem? He didn't hold fast. He didn't hold fast. Yeah, he'd been known as a fellow laborer, even a fellow prisoner with Jesus or with Paul. But now he's nowhere to be seen. He's taken off to another place because his love changed. And unfortunately, even from Madison Baptist Church, there are people who are fellow laborers and good laborers. Drove buses, visited bus routes, went soul winning, were concerned about souls, even served in different, well, served as deacons at Madison Baptist Church and Sunday school teachers. But then, oh man, it, it just gets so hard. Your kids become teenagers. And I don't want my kids to leave me because after all, you know, and so they, they just to water it down a little bit. No, God says, hold fast. Hold fast. Keep standing. Now's not the time to change. Now, Demas, he was one of the big guys of the church, and he lost it all. But you go back into the Old Testament, you find a king like Uzziah. Uzziah was a good king. Matter of fact, God says of Uzziah that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he was king of Judah for 52 years. Only one king was king longer in Judah than Uzziah. And that was Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was a wicked king. Uzziah was a good king. But Uzziah, at 52 years of age, went into the temple and did what only the priests were allowed to do. He offered a sacrifice. God gave him leprosy, and he died in shame, a leper. Why? He didn't hold fast. He should have been content with the calling of God on his life. He had been a good king. See, that's why it's important like Paul said, he said, I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's later for me a crown of righteousness. He just kept going. He stayed the course. He didn't change. And I realize as I'm becoming an old man, an old, old man, and I feel it. Man, I, I don't want to blow it now. I mean, I know I'm going to heaven no matter what takes place, but I don't want to die a compromiser. I mean, after all, some young preacher out there has got to be able to look to somebody who, yes, in 2023 can still say, God says it, that's enough for us, let's believe it, let's stand by it, let's not turn because you got some people that want to be more popular in their neighborhood or with their local clubs. Hold fast. I'm just simply saying it can happen at any level of spiritual attainment, and it can happen among the very best of people. I mean, think about it. Judas Iscariot, although never saved, of course, Judas Iscariot was a man who actually walked and talked and ministered with Jesus Christ. He was with him. He even had a position among the other apostles. Now, you would think the safest place for a person to be would be to be with Jesus. But he never made the decisions he needed to make. So that Jesus would say when he was talking to Peter, after many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him, Jesus said unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Now Peter speaks up and says, the Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, have not I chosen you twelve? But one of you is a devil. 
He spake in Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him. I mean, you could be a Madison Baptist Church World Missionary missionary among the great missionaries and still end up not holding fast. You could be a Madison Baptist Church deacon among some of the greatest deacons and then not hold fast. You could become, you could be among speakers at great conferences and then not hold fast. You see, I'm for being around the right kind of people, but they cannot hold fast for me. And they cannot hold fast for you. I try to be around the right kind of people, and that's an encouragement to me, but I realize I start getting wanting something more, wanting something else, wanting something a little bit different, and I can end up messing up with the whole thing. I'm to be holding fast. I mean, this could be my last year on the planet. I don't know. I could be out in eternity soon. Of course. Of course, we always know that's possible. I'm going to go out right. I don't want to mess up now. I want to continue to stand. Not only that, this can happen in any kind of place. Now, for instance, the two churches that he wrote to, these were churches. And in these churches, they were told to hold fast. I mean, the best environment of any kind would have been the Garden of Eden. And look, Adam and Eve didn't hold fast. They knew. Now, we know that Eve was deceived. But the man, he knew exactly what he was doing. And yet he messed up. What a wrong choice. What a horrible choice. In the Garden of Eden. I mean, he didn't have internet. He didn't have to worry about that mess. He didn't have to worry about a lot of influences people worry about today. And then look at him. What happened? He didn't hold fast. Bible colleges, people don't hold fast. You know, in some good fundamental Bible colleges, some of the biggest apostates in this country graduated from good Bible colleges. funny people get invited to places because where they went to school when the truth is it's good that they went to certain schools but some of those people are just end up being big compromisers because they don't hold fast this church has dropouts of good people and we love them we love seeing them get right with god the best churches have people fall who knew better every pulpit has a potential demas in it every deacon board has a potential demas Every Sunday school teacher is a potential demas. Every pew full of uh, every pew is full of potential demases. That could be you. You got to hold fast. Got to hold fast. Keep your hand there just a moment. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here he is writing to the church he started, people that he won to Christ. He's had to rebuke them throughout the book. In chapter 15, he's had to go over such a basic doctrine about the resurrection of Christ again. And then he says in verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I look at a man like Elijah. Here he is facing the people of God. And he's also facing the prophets of Baal. And he says to the people, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, serve him. And if Baal be God, serve him. And the verse then says, and they answered him not a word. 
Now, I know after the fire came down from heaven, the people started shouting, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. But where was that crowd the next day when Elijah was running? They were at a great meeting. Boy, didn't they have a revival. They didn't have a revival at all. They were afraid they were going to end up like the people of Baal. So when you have Elijah running, they're not there encouraging him. They're going back to silent again. What a shame. What's the problem? They didn't hold fast. And because of that, the northern kingdom goes off into captivity uh, almost 150 years before Judah goes off into captivity because they didn't hold fast. Hold fast. This can happen to any church, any kind of church, complacency, born of prosperity. It was the concern of Moses. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, Moses knew that God would bless his people. But for some reason, we get blessed and, and suddenly we stop doing things that really brought on the blessings. We start trying to find more ways to be comfortable, more ways for it to be easier. And that becomes more our concern than simply reaching the lost than knocking ourselves out for folks. Notice he says to God's people in verse 11, and the house is full of all good things which thou fillest not. And wells dig where thou diggest not, vineyards and olive yards are olive trees, which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. A lot of times I think back to being over on Hughes Road. On Hughes Road, when we got up to running over 300 uh, and for those of you who have not been in that building, bless your heart, uh, that was, it was an amazing building. I mean, it didn't cost us anything to get it, to help keep it up and try to change some things. That cost a little bit of money. But, I mean, it was so hot in the summertime in that building, the west sun shining on those doors in the front, the bricks would be hot. You couldn't touch them. Some of you remember what that was like. The temperature would be around 85 inside on Sunday evenings with the air conditioning going full blast. It could not keep up. As a matter of fact, somebody had the great idea. I think it might have been Andy Nall had the great idea to put some hose up there and punch holes in the hose and let the water just trickle out on the roof. And that did cool it off a few degrees. That helped. It wasn't comfortable, though. And the truth is half the people had to park on the grass. And when it rained, they were parking in the mud. And the others parked on the few asphalt places we had to park. But that's all right. They came, and they, we were stuffed in there. We didn't have three different nurseries back in the gym. And by the way, some of you remember that if you wanted to go to the bathroom, you had to go down through those tiny halls about that wide. I mean, for two people to cross one another going in and out of those halls, for two people to cross, you had to touch one another to get by. We had two commodes on the right side. We had two commodes on the left side, men and women's on each, on each side. And of course, there would always be a line there with the little gym that we had in back, and it was only a half-sized gym. We had a couple of commodes back in there, but the only way to get from in there to into the auditorium was through those two little, tiny little hallways. And do you know what? We were on fire, and we were blessed, and people would give up their seats for visitors. 
As a matter of fact, people would end up sitting behind a column, sit in some of those side rooms, and they would sit there, they hear the preaching, giving up their seats so somebody else could have a seat where they could see what was going on. That's pretty exciting. We don't do stuff like that now. What we do is we just try to make it easier on ourselves. Hold fast that which thou hast. Truth is, we were more diligent about reaching the lost end than we are now. Far greater percentage of our people going out knocking on doors than what we have now. Hold fast. Hold fast what's going to be like the next 10 years. We're at 40. What are we going to be doing when we're at 50? 50 years. Well, if we don't hold fast, we'll lose all that work that's been put into it. Yeah, thank God we've got more missionaries out of our church as time has just continued to multiply and multiply and multiply and praise the Lord. But that took an awful lot of work by volunteers for that to happen. I mean... We had people that worked hours, hours a week, like Brother Vince, taking care of our missionaries, taking care of all the finances of our missionaries, the power of attorney for our missionaries, looking out for them. One man, he retired early from the Department of the Army Corps of Engineers in order to just take care of Madison Baptist Church World Missionaries. And he didn't have a computer to do it. He did it all by pencil. Hours upon hours. Yeah, I know. Sometimes I know people get a little put out with me because they want to go to this thing and that thing. And I think, you know, we've got to be careful. If all we're doing is just trying to make it easier on ourselves, we're hurting ourselves. It does take effort. It does take time. And it does take sacrifice. We don't need to have all the latest stuff. We'll do real good with not having some of this. And I'm not worried about the cost. Well, the, the cost in money near as much as I'm worried about what that prosperity takes away from us in zeal for the Lord. Hold fast what you have. This can happen to any kind of church. Complacency born out of prosperity through discouragement, growing out of adversity, struggle and exhaustion. Are you serving God? Well, adversity comes. People have a tendency to get a little discouraged. I do from time to time with adversity as well. I'm like everybody else. Sometimes it's adversity from within. In fact, I was talking to another, another pastor on yesterday. It's funny. God begins to move, and suddenly some fires just come up. And they come out of left field, and you weren't even expecting them the thing is, of God's blessing, you need to expect the fires. The devil's going to see to it that's going to happen. You know that. It's not by bad people. It's by good people. Good people who get to thinking more about me. And boy, we want to bring all those rebels into line. All those people that don't think about me and what I do into line. We've got to be careful about that. I mean, God's blessed us with so many folks. Do you, you realize how much of an international church we are? And I'm not talking about the missionaries now. I'm just talking about who attends Madison Baptist Church every Sunday. From how many different countries. I mean, my stars, what a blessing. Who would have thought that anything like that ever would have happened in North Alabama? 
I was a Yankee. I never thought it would have happened in Alabama. Caught me by surprise. God's just done it. What a great group. That's awesome. <laughs> Sometimes you, put, you pour your heart into something and you get whopped by the people you're knocking yourself out for. But you know what I've discovered after almost 50 years in the ministry is that it's always been like that. That's not new with Madison Baptist Church. It's always been like that. In any work, there's some things that just don't change. I mean, the faces may change, but that's really it. People are still people. And when God is moving, the devil doesn't like it, and he knows who to poke and to prod. He knows who's having a tough day, and then somebody says something to him, and they blow up in somebody else's face. And now you got two people who are good, good servants of the Lord. Now they're upset with one another. Got to make sure others know it. Hey, I look at Paul. He said to the Galatians, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Well, boy, how many times has that happened? I also think about the Apostle Paul when he said, uh, the more I love you, the less I be loved. So I decided if I love you less, you'll love me more. That's a better way to work it right there. How about that, Bobby? <laughs> nah, don't come to me. Talk to Wally. I'm <laughs> or hey, talk to talk to DA or talk to Brother Brown. No, you can talk to me too. That's fine. But things come up. All right, that's normal. That's just dealing with people. Happens like that at work too. Your job's on the base, I guarantee you it happens in the different companies out there. Because people, people are people. It's what people do. Thank God for what's been done here, but we need to never get hung up on what we used to be. We need to see that we are what we're supposed to be right now and still serve him. Our rest is coming, and it's not here. Now's not the time to sit back and say, well, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Let's enjoy the fruits of what we've done. No, now's the time to keep working because the truth is with all that we have, we are more responsible to do more than what we were to even do what we did back then. So he says, hold fast, hold fast. And you got to be careful because sometimes this happens to a church that's simply living too much in the past. Thank God for what's been done. So let me give you a second thing. I gave you a first thing there, and that is it's imp- it is possible to lose that which you have. Number two, it's possible to hold that which we have. It is possible to hold to it. We have the same spiritual resources and defenses which made the church in ancient Philadelphia invincible. God opens the door, no man can shut it. God shuts the door, no man can open it. We've got the same gospel. We've got the same body of truth, the scripture. We've got the same savior. We've got the same promises of God. We've got the same great commission. The job of the church is still the same, and that's to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. That's why we're here. Not only that, we have the confirmation of nearly 2,000 years of Christian history to validate our faith to undergird our labors, and to encourage our hearts in his service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Hmm. Number three, we have the same divine overseer who encouraged the faithful Philadelphians. He walks in the midst of the candlesticks. 
Jesus is still in the midst of his church. And he still is wanting the same thing out of his church, just more of it, here in the future. We're to stay close to him. You read through the book of Deuteronomy, God told Israel about a number of abominations that they were not to commit. That if they committed those abominations, then they'd lose the very land that God was giving them. Why did the people before them lose that land? Because they'd committed those same abominations. Somehow we think it'll be different for us. But it won't be different for us. What is our problem? Well, you got some problems. Discouraged by it? Well, look to Christ. There is strength in him. We look at Peter in the boat. He sees Jesus coming on the water. He said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. And the Lord bid him to come. He stepped out of the boat. And he was doing fine for just a little bit. And when he got to noticing the waves, his faith wavered and he started going down. Lord, save me. And he was wet when he got in that boat. You understand? We're going to have times like that. We're going to have times when we're going to try something like that. And we're going to get wet. That's not failure. I got news for you. I often wondered as I read that story... I wonder how many times John and James, maybe Andrew, his brother, and some of the others, sat there thinking, I wonder if I could have done that. But they'll never know because they didn't get out of the boat. They stayed where they were. Say, well, preacher, I don't think I can accomplish much. No, but it's amazing what God can do with a little. You give them yourself and you see what God will do. Hold fast. Hold fast. I read a story about a man by the name of Bill Carraway. He played for Georgetown University in football. He was coming to the end of his college career. It was the last game of his final season. The night before, he had not gotten into one game. He'd been playing for the full four years he was there, but had not gotten into one game. And he went to the coach and he asked the coach, Coach, could you let me play one play in the game? Well, they got to playing the football game. This is many, many, many years ago. And uh, Georgetown was down by three. They were late in the second half. And Bill Garraway picked up his helmet. Back then, it was just those leather kind of things, you know. And, and he started walking back and forth on the sideline, just hoping that his coach would notice him. So it was the next last play of the game. Coach saw him and put him into the game. They're still down by three. Just time for a couple more plays. That's it. In the first play, the quarterback gave him the ball. He ran 40 yards downfield. The fans cheered, and some of them looked at their program, but they couldn't find his name or number in the program. It wasn't listed in the program, but that's okay. Now, after, he came, after that, just seconds remain, and Bill Carraway uh, was told to go out for a pass. They had a couple other receivers that went out too. The quarterback made a fake and then threw a pass downfield. Caraway caught it, dove into the end zone. Georgetown University won the game. The coach came to him when the game was over and said, I've never seen a boy more determined than you were today. What gave you this overwhelming desire to win the game? And Bill Caraway said, well, my mother died when I was born. My father raised me. He wanted two things for me. He wanted me to have a college education, and he wanted me to play football. 
He said, now my dad was blind, and so I knew he would never see me play football. But a couple weeks ago, my dad died. And I realized that this is, this is the last time I'm going to be playing anywhere because I won't be playing football after college. I wanted to get in to just play one play so that my dad could see his son playing a football game. And he said, sir, the reason I played like I did, I just had to succeed with my dad looking on. Okay, that's moving. That's good. My Bible tells me in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews that there is a great cloud of witnesses that are all about us, and the picture is a stadium. And with that great cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And then in verse 2 of chapter 12, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down on the right hand of God. He's watching. He's watching. Now, I don't know about you, but... I want to be faithful right up to the end. I want to be faithful. Now is not the time to stop. Now is the time to press ahead. Oh, I know. We get older. We can't do all the things that we used to do. I get that. But that doesn't mean we can't do something. So let's do what we can do for the glory of God. And one of the most important things, let's hold fast. You adults, these young people need to see you holding fast. Because if they don't see some Christians holding fast, unfortunately, they graduate from high school, they're going to start making their own decisions to do their own will. Then holding fast isn't going to be a main thing for them. They need to see some older believers who believe it's just as important as ever to continue to hold fast. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with our hearts tonight. I do believe this, that we don't really get how important tonight may be in the life of Madison Baptist Church. May we think about it. May we think about what the Savior said to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Told them to hold fast. Hold fast. The truths, the Bible truths of the 1970s are still the same truths today. The Bible truths of the 1940s and the 1920s still true today. The Bible truths of the 1800s still true today. Bible truths way back when the scripture was given to us in that first century. Those epistles written to the church, they're just as true today and just as alive today as they were when you gave it to your church. Now, Father, stir us up to hold fast. We're getting ready for a 40th anniversary, and people need to see a church holding fast. God, help us tonight, I pray. May we make some decisions tonight to hold fast. For I ask it in Jesus' name.